Hello, I'm Noel Lim on ASEAN Speaks by Maybank IBG. In our Monday briefing, as always, we bring you highlights for the week ahead. The markets are receiving mixed signals from central banks across the world in terms of monetary policy direction. How should we read recent statements by the central banks in Indonesia, Malaysia and China? And what are the implications on key currencies? Our research team also released this ASEAN Market Strategy report. We cover the key highlights in this call, including favoured markets and sectors. Chua Hak Bin, our regional co-head macro research, takes the call from here. Last week, the FTSE All World Index fell about 3% for the week, led by tech stocks. Both the S&P and NASDAQ locked their biggest weekly percentage drops since March 2020. The S&P is down about 8% from its peak. Uh, record high on the gen and NASDAQ is down about 14% from its peak on 8 November last year. A Goldman Sachs report index of non-profitable tech companies is down by around 20% from the end of last year. Bitcoin has lost about 16% this year. So surging bond yields have dented the allure of growth stocks and their future cash flows. Markets are expecting the Fed to hike interest rates three or four times this year. Uh, last week, China policymakers eased monetary policy and cut interest rates to support slowing growth providing some relief to China property and tech stocks. The MSCI Asia-Pacific Index still ended last week low by 1.7 percentage points, tracking Wall Street. Uh, but we see some de- decoupling, uh, the divergence across uh, Asian markets. Uh, Hong Kong, Singapore, Indonesia, the Philippine markets were actually up, while India, Japan, Korea, Taiwan, and Malaysia were all down. Uh, so the risk of sentiment pushed US 10-year Treasury yields down by more than 10 bips. Uh, by the end of the week to 1.76%, a drop from the recent two-year high of 1.9%. Uh, but the two-year US Treasury yield rose about above 1%. Uh, that's the first time in almost two years. Just to highlight the Saudi other notable moves last week, that the WCI container freight rates rose uh, 1.6%. That's the most in seven weeks, now to a three-month high. Similar increases in the China Export Containerized Freight Index. So after some months of... Uh, easing, um, shipping and port bottlenecks are starting to show up again uh, in the lead up to Chinese New Year. All prices are up by about 13% since the start of the year and remains on edge over the risk of a you know, Russia-US-Ukraine uh, standoff. The main focus this week will be on a Fed meeting on Wednesday where the Fed is expected to leave the Fed funds rate steady but may hint of a more aggressive uh, tapering and uh, rate hikes because of the elevated inflation risk. Uh, recall that the headline U.S. inflation rose 7% in December. Other key U.S. data this week is the U.S. 4th Q GDP, PCE prices, and house prices. U.S. companies reporting this week include Apple, Microsoft, American Express, Visa, Tesla, and Intel. The IMF will be releasing the World Economic Report on Tuesday this week, which will make an assessment on the impact of the Omicron on global growth. The IMF head, Kristalina, um, recently warned that the global economy is navigating an obstacle course with renewal of COVID infections, much more persistent inflation, and record high public debt levels. IMF is likely to downgrade the global growth outlook with signs of um, you know, global growth losing some momentum. Um, some data releases here in Asian ASEAN, data to watch out for includes the PMI for Japan and Vietnam, for QGDP for Hong Kong and Philippines, December trade for Malaysia, manufacturing for Singapore, the China December industrial profits and CPI inflation in URA final 4Q property price indices for Singapore. Also today we have Julian Bank Indonesia's uh, 
policy, policy signals last week. So Jaime on Bank Negara's policy decision, Winston on China's policy easing move and rate cuts, Andy on FX and possible implications from the diverging monetary policies, Anand on ASEAN equity strategy, Jackie on the Philippines' uh, latest uh, equity strategy, Xiaoyang on Malaysia's aviation sector, and Yuani on Thailand's tourism recovery. So let's kick off first with uh, Julia. So Julia, I think um, Bank Indonesia left the policy rate unchanged last week as uh, widely expected, but somewhat surprised with signals for tightening via the reserve requirement ratio. So what is um, Bank Indonesia's guidance? Hi, morning, Hapmin. Uh, yeah, uh, last week, a highlight of BI's meeting was really the announcement that the reserve requirement ratio for banks will be raised to 5% from the current 3.5% starting the 1st of March. Uh, and it's going to be raised two more times in the months ahead uh, to 6% from 1st June and 6.5% from the 1st of September. Uh, Governor Perry did highlight that monetary policy this year will be uh, on pro-stability, uh, but any unwinding of its monetary policy stimulus will be a gradual process. Uh, they will start by reducing liquidity in the financial system uh, before raising the policy rate. Uh, BI is now looking at the Fed to hike four times this year uh, with the first move in March. And this is uh, a significantly more hawkish view uh, by, by BI uh, versus expectations last year of only one Fed hike in 2022. Uh, we are looking at uh, BI to start tightening in the second quarter to support the rupiah, which has been underperforming year to date. Uh, and we are looking at three hikes this year to bring the policy rate to 4.25% as of end 2022. So can you just remind us what's our inflation outlook for Indonesia and any risks we should be watching out for? We are looking at inflation to pick up to 3.2% this year uh, from the slow 1.6% pace in 2021. Uh, the latest inflation print in December was 1.9%, uh, still below BI's target range of 2 to 4%, uh, but it was the fastest pace since June 2020. Uh, we do see inflationary pressures rising uh, on the back of uh, rising food and energy costs. Uh, Finance Ministry Sri Muryani did caution in Parliament last week on the impact of global commodity prices on domestic food costs. Uh, particularly, Indonesia has seen a surge in cooking oil prices, which jumped by 47% from a year ago. Uh, this has prompted the government to expand its subsidized cooking oil program. Uh, they are capping uh, cooking oil prices at 14,000 rupiah per litre for six months uh, and temporarily restricting palm oil exports starting late of January to stabilize local prices. Uh, we think that the main inflation risk for, for Indonesia would be an upward adjustment in retail fuel prices, which are currently around 30% below their commercially viable prices. Uh, we estimate that raising retail prices by 15 to 20% could add as much as one percentage point to headline CPI. Uh, and when we look at past fuel price hikes, uh, which range in the magnitude from 30% to 88%, that had led to sharp inflation spikes and aggressive moves, uh, tightening moves by the BI. Okay, thanks, Jay. Um, so, Jaime, I think in contrast, Bank Negara Malaysia last week um, stayed neutral and left the policy rate unchanged. Any takeaways from the meeting and hints of a rate hike at all? Hi, morning, uh, Habin and everyone. Yes, Bank Negara uh, kept OPR uh, at a record low 1.75%. Um, I think the overall policy stance remained neutral in, in our opinion, uh, given the fact that when we uh, 
pass through the uh, monetary policy statement um, the positives of uh, continued global economic recovery and domestic economy that rebounded last quarter that is expected to uh, gain momentum this year. I think it's being tempered a bit by the central bank assessment that the risk remain uh, risk to growth remain tilted to the downside with danger of you know potentially still weaker than expected global growth amid China slowdown and risk on US growth from a more aggressive Fed policy normalization, prolonging supply chain disruption, you know, emergence of severe and vaccine-resistant COVID-19 variant. Uh, in any case, I think Bank Negara's decision to keep interest rate at where it is now was unanimous, no dissenters there. And um, I, I think um, as far as uh, the trajectory of uh, policy going forward, certainly the signal is there will be normalization uh, because Bank Negara removed from uh, the monetary policy statement the line about it being uh, committed to utilize policy levers to foster sustainable economic recovery. So I, I guess this suggests that while current monetary policy stand by Benegara is appropriate, it is accommodative. I think Benegara may have commenced review of various measures it put in place over the past two years, uh, as well as uh, rethinking about the degree of monetary policy uh, accommodation. Um, I think another thing to highlight also um, in terms of continued uh, commodative policy stance, uh, one key difference between Bank Negara and Bank Indonesia, uh, as highlighted by Julia just now, on reserve requirement of the banking system, obviously um, Bank Indonesia clearly and openly and publicly signal that it's going to raise uh, the reserve requirement ratio of the banking system by three percentage points. Uh, in, in, in between March and September this year, whereas Bank Negara's uh, statutory reserve requirement uh, will stay effectively zero rise until end of this year. So I think overall that signal uh, a sort of a cautious and gradual approach in, in normalizing policy as far as Bank Negara is concerned. So, so I mean, what might trigger a more hawkish move or view from uh, Bank Negara? I would say inflation uh, because right now official forecasts on inflation is for this year's inflation to moderate to 2.1% after the average of 2.5% uh, last year. Whereas, uh, I, I guess on our part, we are looking at a bit more persistent inflation, uh, inflation to average 2.5% this year, the same as uh, last year. So, uh, I guess watch out for Bank Negara's annual report and sort of an updated uh, assessment on official forecasts in towards later end of March uh, this year. That, that could be a, one potential sort of a signpost in terms of uh, Bank Negara's uh, monetary policy. But do bear in mind, I think there are certain things that can keep inflation uh, somewhat uh, under control. Certainly, we expect current blanket fuel subsidies uh, will be continued uh, throughout this year, despite the fact that crude oil price, uh, I think, has exceeded $80 per barrel. Thanks, Jaime. Um, let's bring in Winston. Um, China's central bank eased last week, cutting its benchmark rate for mortgage lending for the first time in nearly two years. The five-year loan prime rate was cut by five bips to 4.6%. The one-year was cut by 10 bips to 3.7%. So, Winston, are these rate cuts um, too small to make a difference, or it signals of further easing to come against the backdrop of a slowing economy and a property downturn? Hi, morning, Habib. Yeah, the 10-bip rate cut, I would say, is not a lot. 
And in fact, not everyone benefits from the 10 bit cut because, uh, for example, majority of the household mortgage resets once a year in early January. So some of the assisting loans may not benefit from the rate cut until the next reset date. I think in China, as some put it, um, the country is facing an impossible, impossible trinity on growth in a sense that it's trying to uh, maintain zero COVID strategy, a strong economic growth and a limited stimulus. Um, the country has been constrained by high leverage in the economy and in recent years, um, China has been prudent in providing stimulus, mostly using targeted measures. But a recent economic data shows that China's real GDP growth slowed further to just 4% in 4Q last year, down from almost 5% in 3Q. Exports remain strong, but domestic demand was weak. Retail sales only increased 1.7% in December as COVID outbreaks affected the consumer services sector and regulatory tightening on the property sector. New home prices, for example, have been falling um, for the fourth consecutive month uh, in December, the worst. This is the worst downturn um, since the last in 2014 for the property prices. So this, to support the economy, I think uh, additional easing uh, is likely in the coming months, perhaps another 50 bips of uh, triple R cut. Uh, but China is, is unlikely to just rely on monetary policy to do the heavy lifting. I think there's been news report to suggest um, the PPOC is encouraging banks to extend more lending to companies and households. Perhaps infra projects um, may be accelerated and I believe that there should be some degree of easing uh, on the property sector. So Winston, what would you be watching out for in this uh, volatile China bond market? Is the worst over? Um, China bonds, the onshore China government bonds are actually still resilient and in fact benefited from uh, liquidity injection and lower rates. But yeah, I think the offshore dollar China property bonds are still very challenging. And the market is still very volatile where bonds continue to trade on prices instead of yields. At one point, the sell-off was spreading to the IG sector, for example. A country garden and IG name traded down to 80 cents of a dollar last week because of concern about prolonged liquidity crunch might even eventually affect the developers with better financial profile. So I think it's quite hard to tell still whether the worst is over. Um, a couple of things to watch out for, I think one really is the maturities. Because this year, there is... Um, almost over 100 billion US dollar China property uh, onshore and offshore bond um, maturities. Also Evergrande restructuring. Um, this might give a sense of the recovery value from the restructuring, although the actual recovery value could actually differ from one company to an another. And quite importantly, the extent of uh, regulatory easing in order to prevent uh, hard landing in the property sector. Okay, thanks, Winston. Uh, let's move to Andy on FX. Um, so Andy, I think the central banks are all over the map, um, going in different directions. Uh, Fed and Bank Indonesia a bit more hawkish, Bank Negara neutral, PBOC more dovish. So for this four currencies, um, I guess what's your call in US dollar and the CNY ringgit and IDR? Are the currencies going to diverge as well and reflect the different monetary policy direction? Hi, morning, Habin. Yes, um, so it's indeed all over the place. Our view for the dollar is um, we're expecting it to remain supported uh, somewhat for the first quarter and, and probably in the early part of second quarter. Uh, it's on the back of a few things. I think the expectations of the uh, Fed rate hike coming up on stream. Uh, 
um, and since it's still a bit uncertain in terms of the pace and the quantitative tightening. But we think that the dollar strength should fade uh, somewhere into second half, later part of second half onwards, uh, as the rest of the world's growth uh, picks up, including in Asia. So when that happens, typically dollar tends to soften. But if you look at the uh, on the um, renminbi front, uh, it's not so clear cut. Right? If you you seeing renminbi actually now at six thirty three levels, which it appreciated, it's on the back of a few things. Despite the PBOC starting the easing cycle, I think net yuan purchases of um, by bank clients proxy for foreign currency flows saw a huge uh, number of inflows coming in, which supported that. And then you also have seasonality now, typically before Chinese New Year. Um, the yen strength uh, typically comes on stream. So it's not very clear cut, but our view is I think with the easing, essentially we're going to be cautiously optimistic on the renminbi front still, um, but uh, strength will still be there because of this, uh, the flows that's coming into uh, China despite the PBOC easing, but I'm sure the officials are actually concerned uh, about the appreciation. So like before last year, there was a foreign currency reserve ratio being raised by PBOC. So we want to look out for that. On the IDR front, um, in fact, I think with the hike cycle possibly coming in later part of this year, uh, we think that there's still some room. BI rates actually sits comfortably about 325 basis points above the Fed funds rate uh, until they move uh, with the expectations. We still expect the rupiah to remain to some somewhat uh, supported to some extent uh, going forward in 2022. For ringgit, uh, we still think that with BNM potentially moving to only towards the latter part of the year, it remains uh, uh, sort of uh, soft uh, as a result of that, uh, especially in volatility expected uh, uncertainty in the second half. Uh, but we still think that Ringgit would be supported by all prices uh, in, the, in the interim short term and even into the latter part of the second half. So we're expecting Ringgit to end the year at about 310 uh, this year. Hartbin. Okay, thanks, Andy. Um, Anand. In your first uh, ASEAN strategy piece for the year, what are the highlights and themes? Hi, hey, good morning, Hakbin, and good morning, everyone. So, you know, we, we just published our first uh, edition of the ASEAN Plus Fortnightly, and it's really a refresh of uh, the heads of research views for each respective country. And I'm happy to say we have uh, quite a constructive view uh, for this year. Perhaps not so surprising uh, when you think that, you know, we are reopening uh, and we have this uh, recovery momentum which is also reflected in our uh, relatively punchy uh, GDP growth numbers uh, across ASEAN this year as well. As you've said before, Hagman, this is the first time ASEAN will grow faster than China in about 30 years, I believe. And uh, you know, the, uh, the equity picks and outlook for the markets also reflect that optimism. Uh, most of the countries are looking at double-digit earnings growth recovery uh, this year. Malaysia is a negative exception, and I've covered this before. This is because of policy issues with the one-off tax levy uh, known as Chukai Magmo. But for the other countries, you know, it is mid to high teens uh, on average. Uh, some countries are going into 20, 30%. Uh, and that's uh, indicative of the recovery momentum uh, or the reopening trade. Uh, also, index targets, you know, uh, again, quite punchy, uh, ranging from 5.6% upside for Thailand all the way up to 23% upside for Vietnam. Now, before I finish, it's, just, it's not just about recovery and reopening. You know, we have seen other thematics kicking in to lift our, our earnings growth outlooks and index targets for this year. In the Philippines, you have uh, tax cuts, which are quite structural in nature. Uh, in Vietnam, uh, you know, we are expecting a big fiscal stimulus package to further boost already robust uh, secular growth. Uh, in Singapore, 
a lot of restructuring and M&A activity. I think uh, you all saw the news uh, last week on UOB acquiring Citigroup's assets in the region. Uh, we expect more of that, uh, and that should drive valuations as well. And in Thailand, uh, you know, we have M&A and IPOs uh, really on fire there as well. So you know, some other thematics at play as well. So can you remind us on which countries and sectors you prefer, um, and what are some of your current top stock picks? Sure. In terms of countries, our two top picks are Singapore and Vietnam. Uh, both are you know, showing pretty good value uh, at this point uh, in the mid to low teens uh, on a PE basis. We're seeing a lot of activity on the ground. I mean, these two countries were the most resilient through the pandemic in terms of uh, uh, GDP. Uh, and you know, we are seeing that recovery in, uh, in business operations coming through quite nicely in the earnings numbers uh, that are being reported. Also, uh, you know, in terms of thematics, uh, these two countries and, and some of their corporates uh, give you the best exposure to the supply chain relocation thematic, which is probably one of the most powerful thematics for ASEAN over the next three to five years. So for all those reasons, Singapore and Vietnam are the two top countries. Uh, the other thing I mentioned is those two also don't have political noise, which we expect for Malaysia, Thailand, and the Philippines over the next 12 to 18 months. All those three countries are facing elections, unlike Singapore and Vietnam. Uh, in terms of sectors, to finish off, uh, we like banks. Uh, we are forecasting interest rate increases across the region, and that will be good for bank margins. Uh, and banks are showing extremely good value and very high yields at this point as well. So, you know, a bit of a, a no-brainer there, I guess, if you're willing to hold on uh, to those stocks. Uh, consumer retail for the reopening play, uh, including, you know, uh, sub-segments like auto uh, and healthcare, which are very cyclical in nature. Uh, energy in Thailand and Vietnam, uh, and also property uh, in Vietnam and uh, the Philippines. Great. Thanks, Anand. Thank you. Uh, Jackie. So I think the Philippine market has started the year on a positive note, despite the Omicron outbreak. Uh, will the market rally continue? Hi, good morning, Hafin. Yes, uh, we think so. Um, we expect the fundamentals to remain strong this year. Uh, the country's reopening trajectory, which is mainly supported by the wider vaccination coverage and the subcritical hospital bed utilization levels, should deliver a 19% year-on-year earnings growth for the market even if we assume that the country will be under moderate lockdown restrictions for the first half of this year. Um, so bulk of this growth uh, would be cyclical-led. About 70% of this year's earnings growth will be led by the property banks and property and banks-led conglos, uh, which should all be posting sustained double-digit earnings growth this year. Further, we expect uh, flow-driven downside risks to remain minimal, given that the foreign ownership levels are already at a nine-year low at about 19.6%. So as Anand kind of highlighted, you know, um, I guess the political risk in elections is, uh, is one thing to watch out for the Philippines. Any surprises and major shifts in policy directions we should be watching out for under a new president? Okay, so although we expect the upcoming presidential elections to create some sort of market volatility leading up to May, um, overall, we view it as a potential positive boost, um, particularly for the discretionary consumer and telco sectors. From a policy standpoint, uh, just looking at the key platforms of the leading presidentials, not much is likely going to change. Um, economic policies still prioritize the pandemic response and employment rebuilding over the short and medium term, particularly now that the Foreign Investments Act and the Retail Trade Liberalization Act have been passed. Um, we expect the government to continue to push um, infrastructure investments especially should the amendments to the Public Service Act 
um, are passed. The proposed amendments effectively eliminate foreign ownership restrictions on the telcos, um, tollways, and shipping industries, among others. Um, but the key difference uh, we can expect would be maybe on the execution. So some candidates favor more provincial or regional development relative to just you know centered in Metro Manila. Um, and also in the country partners, um, some candidates intend to keep relations with China, while another candidate will likely cultivate more Western relationships. Um, but overall, um, the general direction should be uh, the same. Great. Thanks, Jackie. Uh, let's yeah. bring in Xiaoyang. Um, so, Xiaoyang, can you update on the state of the Malaysian uh, aviation sector? I guess it's one of the hot hit sectors from the pandemic. So, blue skies now with the reopening or still more turbulence? Hi, Hagbin and uh, everyone. Yeah, for the Malaysian aviation sector, uh, much to our surprise, it's actually recovering quite nicely. Uh, in December, passenger traffic uh, nearly doubled year on year to 3 million. Uh, and this was the best uh, statistic since uh, the pandemic began uh, in the first quarter of 2020. It was led by the domestic segment. Uh, to our surprise, uh, domestic passenger traffic recovered to about 60% of pre-COVID-19 levels. Um, it's hard to imagine, really, um, that, you know, slightly more than a quarter ago, uh, you know, when Delta was uh, rampaging across Southeast Asia, uh, including Malaysia, uh, passenger traffic was almost zero, and, uh, you know, and almost all the aircraft in this region was grounded. Uh, but today, things are looking a bit better. Uh, in fact, almost 60% of aircraft operated by Malaysian carriers are in the air, uh, again, led by the domestic-centric airlines. Um, and in the initial indications are that although January is typically a trough month uh, between the year end and Chinese New Year, uh, traffic looks like, you know, uh, traffic on a daily rate looks like uh, quite similar to the one in December. So that's a very good sign. Uh, hopefully traffic uh, will recover further, led by the domestic segment uh, towards uh, Chinese New Year this year. So yeah, it's recovering very nicely. So, which names do you like in the aviation uh, sector? Right. So, although the industry is recovering, there are a few things to note. Uh, uh, the, the main thing is basically the number of planes being operated by Malaysian carriers is uh, currently it's uh, lower than before COVID. So, 2021 ended with about 240 planes operated by Malaysian carriers. So, basically, that will not be that great for Malaysia airports. I mean, for Malaysia airports, uh, you know, uh, we should expect very least uh, to have you know the same number of airplanes uh, being operated by their clients uh, relative to COVID. But we don't see that, um, so we kind of expect uh, you know the uh, the passenger uh, service charges or landing and parking fees to be charged uh, by Malaysia airports to remain the same. Um, I mean, I mean to go back to pre-COVID levels, so that's not so good for Malaysia airports. But with fuel planes, uh, that should mean a higher airfares uh, as you know, demand slowly recovers, but supply is still rationed. And we think this will be good for the likes of the Asia and the Asia X. Okay, thanks, Shaya. Yuani, uh, on, uh, I guess, Thai tourism, so the border and quarantine policies in Thailand keeps on changing. So I guess what's the latest? I don't know. When can we travel to, to get to Chiang Mai without any quarantine and tests? Good morning. The latest is that if you do not want to be quarantined, you should apply for the test and go. 
And if approved, then you can enter Thailand without being quarantined, but uh, should be tested on day one and day five. For Phuket, you will not need to apply for test and go and will not have to be quarantined, but still need to be tested. I guess you may ask why uh, the Phuket sandbox. The idea is that even if the test and go is suspended, uh, like uh, in December, the Phuket sandbox should still stand to welcome international tourists. So are the tourism place now seeing more interest with the reopening and the vaccine rollout or investors still nervous and unconvinced? Um, and which are your topics? Because Thailand depends so much on international tourism, tourism stocks have received more interest again. My topic is AOT target price, 73 baht, because, because it's the main beneficiary of the recovery and it's a gateway to Thailand. Okay, great. Thanks. Thanks, Yuanin. Uh, that's all we have for uh, today. Thanks and enjoy the rest of the That's a wrap for today's Monday briefing. To get the reports on what was covered, speak to your trading rep at Maybank or check out Market Insights on the Maybank Trade app. I'm Noel Lim on ASEAN Speaks, brought to you by Maybank IBG.